Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Helen Emerson, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thanks for having me. We are at Rosie Connolly's right now. We are. The bar that you uh, co-own with? With my father. With your dad. Yep. So uh, let's start at the beginning. Where were you born? Um, I was born in Liverpool, England, into a half English, half Irish family, a very large family. Mom, English, dad, Irish? Um, Both my parents have Irish uh, parents and grandparents. Okay, so it's half all the way up a couple generations, sounds like. Yep. All right, Liverpool, I don't detect an accent. Why is that? Uh, I moved here when I was eight, so my sister and I lost our accents pretty fast once we got put into the American school system. But your parents still have... They have uh, very thick accents. And do you mimic their accents when you talk to them? I do it to my mother all the time just to pick on her. (laughs) So you know you're doing it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I do it when I get angry. It it comes out naturally. And then I also do it just to mimic my mother and drive her crazy. All right. Well, you gave me a fantastic line uh, the last time I was here at Rosie Conley's. You you said, you told me about the capital of Ireland. You want to tell me? Oh, right. Liverpool is known as the capital of Ireland because there's so many Irish in Liverpool. And why is that? Um, Everybody, um, when they were trying to come to America, they would have to go through Dublin to Liverpool because Liverpool was one of the biggest seaport cities in England. And then that's how you would get to America. But the crossing of the Irish Sea is pretty bad from Dublin to Liverpool. So a lot of people just said, forget about it. I'm staying here and then ended up settling there. And they had a pretty good sense that the Irish Sea was a lot smaller than the Atlantic Ocean. Like it's going to be like this crossing the Atlantic, forget it. And even when I was little, my dad used to put us on a ferry to go to Dublin to stay with his sister. And I mean, and that was in the 80s and the crossing then was terrible. But we were also on cattle ships. So it would be the humans on the top and then the like sheep and the cows and everything on the bottom. And we'd have to wait for them to unload all of that cargo before we could get off. So not the smoothest ride. (laughs) No. No, no. I threw up a lot. You didn't look forward to it. You couldn't have. Absolutely not. Yeah, so uh, if you're going to get out a map, if you're listening to this right now and you get out a map, you've got Ireland to the west, then the Irish Sea between Ireland and what I would consider the rest of the UK. Yeah, the the north of England for sure. Yeah, yeah. Brutal. Yeah, it's a rough crossing. But Liverpool... Uh, you have memories from Liverpool? You must. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I go back every year because my family still lives there. Everybody but your parents and, and you. Yeah. Well, I have um, two uncles here. Uh, uh, my uncle, um, Terry, he owns Penny Lane. So oh, we right. like to keep pubs in the family here in <laughs> Richmond. And then um, his wife is my dad's sister, Rose. And then my uncle, David, um, he is a realtor and also works at Ruth Chris um, out in Huguenot. Okay. What is it about pubs and your family? Um, I, I don't actually, I don't know. Uh, because when we lived in Liverpool, my dad worked for Ford Motor Company on the line in the factory in a uh, Hale Wood. And that was a big, you know, everybody in Liverpool had somebody in their family that worked for Ford. And then my uncle Terry, um, he was a bouncer on the doors in Liverpool and he was a sailor and he ended up in, um, went to Canada first and then went to New York. And there was this Irish guy, Martin Lawler, who was coming down to run the Bull and Bear Club in the 80s. And he brought Terry O'Neill and then Andy Jennings, who owned Rare Old Times. And Bull and Bear here in downtown? Yep. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. It's been so, there forever. Yeah, he was the one that brought um, Terry O'Neill down and Andy Jennings. And Matt Houston, Matt's British pub. And um, they all came down originally to work at the Bull and the Bear and then opened their respective pubs. So we really did run the, the pub circuit for a while as a family. And uh, a lot of those places are still around. Yes. Um, sadly, Andy passed away, um, but Rare Old Times is still going um, under a guy named Rob, who actually used to bartend at Penny Lane as well. 
And then uh, he bought Rural Times uh, after Andy passed away, and his wife Cindy decided to sell it. And because your dad bartended at uh, Penny Lane Pub for uh, twenty years. Yeah, yeah, at the time. at the old Penny Lane when it was located on Seventh Street, where the federal courthouse is now. Uh, and now um, my cousin Terrence runs it, and it's located at Fifth and Franklin. Do you guys ever help each other out? Um, we do. We'll borrow stuff from each other if we run out of stuff. Uh, we shoot ideas off each other a lot. Um, we send each other customers. They get very, very busy for all the football matches and Champions League, so he'll send people down here. Um, St. Patrick's Day, if we get a line, we start directing people up there. So Because it, you're an Irish pub. We're not. Yeah, we definitely went with the Irish side of our family and opened Rosie Connolly's, and that is my dad's mother. That's her name, and Rosie Connolly. Because Penny Lane Pub is very English. They are very um, Liverpool-centric, is, uh, is what I call it. So they are very uh, Beatles and then uh, Liverpool Football Club. Uh, they are the mecca of Liverpool Football Club. So they're very Liverpool. Who's your team? Liverpool. Really? <laughs> I guess it has to be. Well, our family's split down the middle. So um, my uncle Michael and his kids are all Everton supporters. And then um, Terry and my dad and me and Terrence are Liverpool supporters. So my wife and I went to uh, London and then down to Brighton to see a uh, a friend of hers and there was a, a store in london that had a billion hats and the, a lot of them were premier league soccer teams right and and i don't know anything i'm a football basketball baseball american uh guy but i knew the english premier league was a big deal especially in england and, and, and i guess really in western europe yeah and it's been it's pretty big here it's a lot bigger here than i thought it would ever get oh yeah it's definitely big um in richmond it's it's very big it's crazy how big it's gotten in yeah. Richmond. and so i i out of all the hats i had heard of chelsea i had heard of man U and all that but i i west ham i had never heard of i'm like i'm gonna be a west ham guy and so i bought this baseball cap and i'm walking through london and listeners can't see what i'm about to do but i'm about to cross my arms this guy comes up to me and does that <laughs> i had no idea what he was doing <laughs> well london has a few teams they have arsenal they have um west ham uh chelsea and so people are very opinionated about their teams but um my cousin actually played for west ham uh, my cousin on my mom's side kevin nolan um mm. he was their captain for uh, for a while, and um, yeah, he yeah, I've a, actually heard of his name. And I'm not a big soccer. Guy. Yeah, so yeah. Um, he's on my um, his uh, grandfather, um, uh, Tony Connolly, and then my grandfather uh, Joseph Connolly were brothers. Okay. So that's how we're related. Nice, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really cool. All right, so back to when you were a kid. Do you need to answer that, by the way? I can turn it off. I can pause. Okay. Yeah. All right. So growing up in Liverpool, I say growing up. You left when you were eight, but you do have memories. So what are your memories of Liverpool? Um, so now Liverpool is, uh, it was crowned the capital of culture a few years ago. It's a huge tourist city. They've rebuilt all the, the docks, um, and it's beautiful and a lot of tourists. But when I was growing up, Liverpool, um, in the eighties was, uh, I don't want to say run down, but it was, you know, it was a rough city. It was a working class seaport city. Um, so the docks weren't built up. My grandfather, uh, my, my dad's father was a docker. He worked on the docks his whole life. Um, and it was definitely, you know, rough. You, you, uh, kind of had to be on your, uh, you know, on your toes to, to on know your toes looking on. over your shoulder kind of thing. Yeah. Um, right. but I mean, I wouldn't have had it any other way. It was still an amazing place to grow up and, uh, just culturally, like, you know, music wise and, um, history. It was amazing. There's, you know, just so much to see there. And a lot of people in England always have bad things to say about Liverpool and people from Liverpool. But 
I always put it down to jealousy, just saying. Um, <laughs> but I think that li- people of Liverpool, I mean, if you need help or if you're a tourist and you're lost, they're going to be the first to jump up and help you. They really are, like, the kindest people. So uh, I, I can't help but uh, catch the fact that you said capital of culture or crown the capital of culture. Who deemed that to uh, be so? The European Union. They have the European capital of culture. What? And different, different cities around Europe. Are, are, Does it rotate? It rotates, yeah. Okay. So Liverpool was um, was the capital of culture. And it's it's for, like, your historic buildings and history and preservation of historic buildings and, and that kind of stuff. But I think it was 2008 that they were uh, the capital of culture. And that was a lot of tourism um, was coming through Liverpool. And now it's very you, – you go to Liverpool now and you, you don't hear that many Liverpool accents. You hear a lot, a lot of tourist accents, people coming from, from all, all over. over. Um, and not just for the Beatles stuff. Obviously for Liverpool and Everton football clubs, um, for all the museums that are there, the seaport history, um, it's, it's actually pretty interesting. So um, I, should, I should go. Yeah, it's it's definitely a cool place. And don't go in the winter; it's cold. <laughs> but go in the, go in the spring or summer. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Americans don't realize how far north uh, yes. the UK is. Yeah, Liverpool. Yeah, it's the northwest of England, so it's very um, it gets cold there, and it's right off the sea, so it definitely gets cold. I was just there in February; it's quite chilly. Similar to Scotland, I imagine. Um, not as cold. Scotland's definitely very cold, <laughs> but but Liverpool can can get there. <laughs> Once you get to a certain level of cold, it doesn't matter if it gets much colder. Yeah, we uh, when we were in there in February, I was like, I forgot how freezing it is in the winter time. I was like, why are we here in the winter? <laughs> but uh, we had gone to see my family, uh, so yeah. All right. So when you were growing up, did you know that you were living in the place that the Beatles grew up in? Yes, because Ringo Starr actually lived in the Dingle, which is where my mom lived. And um, what's the Dingle? It's just a neighborhood in Liverpool okay. called the Dingle, All right. and um, that's uh, where he grew up. And so he lived down the street um, from my mom. And so that I mean, you knew immediately. Uh, yeah, yeah. From a very young age. Yeah, my dad really likes music, and my uncle Terry used to bounce on the doors. Um, so for like when the Beatles were playing and stuff, so he worked a lot of those doors. Um, so he's a big Beatles fan. And my uh, dad liked uh, music, so he went to, all, you know, the Cavern Club. And there was another club in Liverpool called La Carno. Um, so he saw, like, Rod Stewart, Ike and Tina Turner, uh, the Searchers, the Beatles, all of them before they were ever kind of famous. Yeah, because when they were in the, uh, what's the name of the club, the Cavern Club? The Cavern Club. Yeah, I mean, they were not big back yeah, then. Yeah, no, my, but my dad used to go there on a Saturday afternoon because everybody went. You dressed in a suit, you dressed up, and uh, went to the Cavern Club for the afternoon. And so he, I, at the time, he had no idea how lucky he was to right, exactly. be there at that time. Yeah, yeah, and it's then, amazing. Yeah, and then my uncle worked uh, – my uncle was a little older than my dad, so he was the door guy on, on most of these clubs. So he was the bouncer. He's a big guy, so it makes sense he was the bouncer. And he, so he knew all the musicians that came through? Yeah, yeah. I guess you want to make friends because he would eventually protect you maybe. Yeah, so he uh, he knew a lot of those guys. That's awesome. Yeah. So why move to the U.S.? Um, when we lived in um, Liverpool, there was not a lot of job opportunities, and um, it was during the time uh, where Margaret Thatcher was prime minister, and uh, she did not focus a lot on support for the north of England. Hmm. And so that's weird. Why is that? I don't know. At one point, they said Liverpool was a dead city and just kind of left it. Oh gosh. <laughs> so. Well, we've done that um, in this country too. And and, and they definitely. Uh, I mean, obviously, London was the central focal point for tourism and and. You know everything, so they there was a lot of focus more on on building all of that up, um, and the north just kind of got left. It was just working class and kind of got left behind. Um, so 
when we were my dad was looking for jobs we could have either moved to dublin um Stilorgan, which is a suburb of dublin where his sister lived or we could move to america where his other sister lived and um my uncle terry became an american citizen so he could sponsor mm. uh the green cards for everybody else um so we put in for our green cards and they got lost somehow so it took us five years to get our green cards and so my dad um we were selling our house and looking at a different house and the they put a my parents put an offer on this house and then when they went for the home inspection the house was actually sinking and our home that we lived in was already sold and then two days later the after five year wait the green cards came in the mailbox and my dad was like well it must be a sign and so um you have about a two-week window to decide that you're going or they pull the green cards and you know, give them to somebody else. And so um, we pretty much, our house was already sold because we were, had planned on moving within Liverpool. And um, uh, we packed our stuff and lived with um, my mom's oldest sister for the two weeks. And then we had a big going away party, which was really sad. <laughs> and uh, and then here we, here then we went to America. Because Terry was here in Richmond. Right. Yeah. He had already owned Penny Lane. So um, my dad was able to, you know, we put that as that my dad would be able to get a job there. And so, um, so when I go, Help me with the math here. The process to come to America started when you were three? With the process to come to America, yeah, yeah, it would have. And wow. I, I remember being five and going to London to the embassy for, like, for background check stuff because um, you have to go down there and they, you know, ask you a bunch of questions about your family and why you want to go. And, 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 and the kids, too. They, they ask everybody questions. So as an eight-year-old, uh, you had spent more than half your life trying to get a green card to come to the U.S. Yeah. You, you probably didn't think of it that way. But. No. And I had, honestly, I had, I really, you know, I knew what America was because we'd come over here for vacations and we'd gone to like Orlando and, but it just never processed in my mind that we were moving to America. Like I thought America was down the street. <laughs> So when we were leaving, and, and, and it was very similar to Orlando, which is not the image most Americans want uh, people leaving yeah. with. <laughs> but I mean, I thought Orlando was cool. So. <laughs> it's cool for a kid, sure. Um, but yeah, we uh, when we when we moved here, um, I had no idea because my mom's family was gigantic. It was you know there's ten for uh, my. My, you know, my mom's older sister married into this big Irish family and they had 10 brothers and sisters and then they all had children. And so we, that we were very close with, with all of them. So moving away fr from that was, um, you know, had to be just, horrifying. Yeah. I mean, I remember coming back in third grade and, um, one of my aunts had got me like a Care Bear birthday cake. And then my, it was my, I was with my mom and my sister and my dad called and sang happy birthday over the phone from America. And I cried because I was like, are we ever going back to see my dad? Cause I was just so confused on this whole process of moving to America. <laughs> but you go back every year now. We do. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. We, um, we go back and visit every year. Cause you still have a ton of family members. Um, and sadly they're getting older and, um, uh, you know, unfortunately as life goes, you know, people are starting to pass away. And so, uh, but we, we go back just to make sure we, we get to see everybody. And, but you have first cousins around your age. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then they all have kids and. So what was the American experience like the first two or three years? Uh, uh, it was interesting. It was different. Um, uh, it was very, um, just trying to get used to the school system and uh, when we moved here over there they never figured out i was dyslexic and then we moved here and uh the first two weeks i got put into like speech classes 
and I didn't understand why. <clears throat> and it's because um, they decided that my accent uh, was making it hard for the teachers to understand me. So, of course... Wait a minute. You had speech class because of your accent? Because of my accent. I, I actually have never heard of that. Yeah. It was it was crazy to was me. Was this City of Richmond schools? It, this was Henrico. Henrico. Yeah. So That's my, a fun little fact. Yeah. So, so um, my mom went up there and uh, kind of flipped out. And I was taken to In her Irish brogue? In her very Liverpool scouse. She sounds uh -huh. like Scylla Black brogue when she's angry. <laughs> and um, she uh, went up there. And I don't think they could understand her either. So they just put me back in, um, non, in, in class. And I was taken out of the speech classes. Because <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want to deal with your mom. Basically. They yeah. were like, all right, this lady is yelling at us <laughs> in a very strange accent. <laughs> how, do, how do we stop the yelling? Yeah. <laughs> and then we had to get shots to go into the school system. A lot of, like, boosters and just different things that we didn't have. Um, and so that, you know, and my poor sister, she was five years older than me, so she had to get way more shots than I did. And I remember my um, dad's sister, Rose, um, taking us to buy what she let us pick out whatever we wanted because we had just like a plethora of shots just into our arms to, to start, you know. We moved here in the August and we started the American school system in the September. Like it was just boom, let's put them in it. Was it super different? It, very different. I mean, the way we dressed, we wore school uniforms our whole lives until we moved here. And then, Ameri you know, obviously American fashion was way different than what we were used to. And we was, was it fashionable in America back then? Yeah, the 80s are super fashionable. <laughs> <laughs> we love an 80s fashion. So we, um, yeah, it was, it was different. We went from school uniforms and on the weekends, you know, like uh, Liverpool kits and, you know, whatever to to being over here to every Je a lot of jeans. Yeah. And every day you got to pick, a you know, whatever you wanted to wear because you didn't have to wear a uniform anymore because, um, we went to public school here, so. And your parents were okay buying all these outfits? Yeah, I mean, we moved here with not a lot of money. Uh, and all of our stuff was in, on a shipping container coming over. And our house sale, like, the money hadn't transferred because we had to basically close British accounts and move them over to America. So I think we moved here with maybe, like, $200 in cash in my dad's wallet. So For a family of four. For a family of four. Um, before we could kind of get all of our money um, situated and our, our belongings were, like I said, on a shipping container, and that took a while. And so, yeah, when we first moved here, it was kind of the whole thing was just a really big culture shock, I think, to everybody. My dad says if he could go back and do it now, he would have moved first and set it all up and then brought us mm. instead of just being like, all right, let's go, <laughs> and all of us coming. Well, it's the first <laughs> time he had done that too, right? Yeah, I mean, and they were – my dad was, you know, like 34. So, I mean, he was still relatively young and had kind of no idea. We'd never moved countries before, so. I mean, he spent a lot of time in Ireland and England, but that was probably about it. Yeah, we, uh, we went to Spain a lot when we were little because mm. um, it was very, you know, going to Spain is kind of like the equivalent for, for England. Uh, it's kind of the equivalent of going to, like, the Bahamas. You know, okay. you can it's, it's inexpensive. You can go. Not that it's not expensive, but, you know, I mean, it's not crazy expensive you can go and get like an all-inclusive hotel and you're basically your going to the mediterranean and, yeah. yeah um so we would do that um that was we would go on one vacation a year and that would be spain or like i said we came to orlando twice um that, ireland that, that we, makes that makes me laugh ireland we would go to a lot because we would just take the ferry um so my dad would either drive the car onto the ferry and then we would all go or if it was just me and my sister we would go with um my nana rosie Connolly, and um we would just sit in the upstairs portion of the ferry and my uncle michael would pick us up and then drive us to Stillorgan, um, which is where their home was so your grandmother stayed in ireland the entire time no she was in liverpool she was as in well. liverpool as yeah well. and so her their her oldest daughter kathleen uh was in ireland okay. and um so we would all go and she would um her husband would come and get us off the ferry and and take us back to to their house so the things you experienced as a kid that were pretty tough yeah, it was, it was, uh, now as an adult, I look back on it, 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 I just thought it was normal life, but 
being around, you know, my friends who just always lived here, I was like, my life was not, it was a little bit tough. Yeah. But you don't regret any of it. Oh, no, not at all. It probably makes you a little bit uh, better suited to deal with things now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I couldn't have the life in Liverpool. I would have a good life in Liverpool because my whole family was there, but I couldn't have the life that I have now in America. Um, if I still was there, yeah. I mean, you know, we have, we have a nice house. Um, we have this restaurant, you know, my, my, uh, daughter, my sister has three daughters and they're all, you know, in college or out of graduated. Um, my daughter's still in high school, but you know, she is a competitive Irish dancer and, uh, just, you know, different, different things that, that are, are big in America that, that we probably wouldn't have done over there. So, uh, more opportunity here in terms of how you could spend your time and yeah. invest money. I, I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. I mean, they do say, I mean, uh, you know, America's a land of opportunity. And some people say it isn't anymore, but I still think it is. I mean, Oh, it my, absolutely my, still my, is. You know, my, my, I, I see a lot of people, when I, even when I go home, that say they'd love to live in America. So I, a, a lot of people still would love to be able to come here and have the opportunity to, you know, be able to live here and uh, have their kids live here or have their kids, you know, born here. We're not perfect. But I can't, I, I'm biased because I grew up yeah. here, but I can't imagine living anywhere else. No, no, I mean, it's a, you know, I mean, I, I think it's great, so. <laughs> and you've been here long enough that, like, you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's, uh, it's interesting how in Liverpool you felt like you just didn't have as many opportunities as you, as you had in a place like Richmond, because Richmond's not a big place. Right. I mean, in Liverpool now is definitely very different than Liverpool in the 80s. Liverpool right. now, there's plenty of jobs and plenty of, you know, places to work and things to do. And at Liverpool in the 80s, it was, you know, you either, you were a docker, you worked at Ford, you uh, drove, you know, lorry trucks, uh, you know, just different, very working class opportunities. What's, as a, opposed, what's a lorry truck? Like a, like a big rig, but they're called like, lorries over there. Like an 18-wheeler? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, you drive to London delivering, you know, whatever came into the docks, that, that kind of stuff. Got it. All right, so when you were in high school, what were you up to? Were you all about school? Were you? <laughs> no, I was terrible in high school. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't because you weren't smart, just because you weren't focused on school. I was I not focused on school, and I definitely, um, you know, I was dyslexic, so I would, uh, a lot of times my brain just was not, uh, it was, you know, in outer space a lot of times, and I would um, uh, just kind of, it would be hard kind of pulling it, all together, so school was not my favorite because I sometimes would have a hard time focusing. When did you know you you had dyslexia? As soon as we moved to America, they, the American school system figured it out. They did not in England. Unfortunately, I had one horrible teacher who used to make me stand up in front of the class and read, and I was dyslexic. In, I I would read backwards. I'd see all the letters backwards, and um and she used to tell everybody that I was stupid and not to be like me. Oh, that's so which horrible. Is, <laughs> which is she's an adult. She it's, was yeah. She was a mean adult. <laughs> she's supposed to be nurturing in that position. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, some some teachers are, some teachers are not. So so when you see a sentence, C spot run. How, how, Sometimes like the the R would be backwards, or the just the letters would be backwards, or I. Um, and so I'll, I'll do it now sometimes and I'll laugh uh, when I do it because I, I realize what I'm doing. I will say the sentence backwards. I, I, in my mind, I'm flipping it. So you know how to flip it today. Yeah. You, you've overcome it effectively. Yeah. And but then it, and math, I was very dislike. Like, I'd flip all the numbers. And oh, I was, oh I was that's ter- maddening. Terrible in math. <laughs> yeah. Trying, terrible. Trying to get algebra done when you're dyslexic, I imagine, is yeah, impossible. Yeah, it, uh, it was definitely just frustrating. I, I would flip every number and be like, man, what am I doing to myself? <laughs> so you, you knew you had... A challenge with that right uh, and and it sounds like like a lot of kids myself included attention deficit was a thing right uh 
was it because you were creative? Um, or, or, I don't know. Or energetic? Maybe. I, 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 yeah, I definitely was energetic <laughs> and, uh, my, my mom will tell you I was energetic. Um, and I, I'm not sure. Just, uh, um, I don't know. So who were your friends? How would you classify your friends? I would say when I was 14, I started sneaking down to gray street to hang out at twisters and rockets and go to punk rock shows. <laughs> And um, my dad, because he worked at the old Penny Lane, was friends with a lot of the Richmond cops because the first precinct was down the street back then um, at the, when Penny Lane was on 7th Street. So a lot of those older guys knew who I was, and then they would see me and pull up and be like, what are you doing down here? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would go to a lot of, uh, a lot of punk rock shows. Uh, my sister was um, pretty big, in, like she was pretty big into punk rock, so... Probably and you're the from. younger sister. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of followed what, whatever she did. Yeah, there's a pretty big punk rock scene here in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess there was a pretty big punk rock scene everywhere back then, at least in Europe and uh, yeah. oh, yeah, East for Coast sure. of America. Yeah, in Liverpool when I would go home and, you know, when we would go home when I was, you know, younger, uh, you'd see, like, everybody, you know, the, with the Mohawks and the uh, all the, the punk rockers hanging out. So I always thought they looked cool. <laughs> so you were uh, a rebel a bit. I, I don't know, because everybody I knew was like that. They were either into, like, straight, you know, hardcore music, straight-edge music, uh, punk rock, the bad brains, stuff like that. So is, I didn't I didn't think I was a rebel, because everyone else was like me. What is straight-edge? Um, it's a move, a lifestyle movement of no alcohol, drugs. Um, usually people are vegan. Um, they like, uh, you know, loud, kind of screamy hardcore music. And I, I was into that when I was in high school. That's what I was. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of who I am now. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely the opposite of me because I'm a bartender. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. And my husband was a drummer in a, a bunch of straight-edge bands. And okay. That's how I met him. And I've known him since I was 17. Is straight-edge still a thing? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Really? Yeah, like Minor Threat. Have you ever heard of them? No. It was a straight-edge band. <laughs> I, yeah, like a, a really famous one that kind of started the whole thing. You're kind of blowing my mind that that's even a thing. Oh, really? <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'd heard of it, but I didn't fully grasp. Yeah, it was a big, it was a big movement in Richmond in the uh, in like the late '90s. And it, it sounds like there's still a subsegment out there. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right, so you graduated high school. I did. Yes. What, what were you going to do after you graduated? I was going to go to VCU for theater. Okay. Because um, I did. Uh, I guess I was creative because I liked theater a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I kind of put that on hold because I. Would tra- I was traveling. I was going to go to Liverpool for six months and stay with my grandparents and then come back and start VCU. And then I kind of just flaked on starting college and um, decided to just start. I started waiting tables around Richmond. And, uh, you know, that was fast, easy money. And, yeah, you like money. Who doesn't yeah. like money, right? Yeah. And then I got married, you know, and then I got married young and um, just kind of started life and then kind of. Life started early for you. Yeah, never, never went back to the acting aspect of life <laughs> so you so i was going to ask with theater it was acting you were yeah. on stage you weren't necessarily behind the scenes right no you, li- you liked acting yeah what is it about acting that you like um i think i uh when i was little i used to um you know make up scenarios in my mind so much and play them out with my dolls and i think it might have just come from that that's, <laughs> so super, then I started that's super playing creative. it out in real life <laughs> no that's super creative so yeah I think that's how I would enter, you know, that's kind of how I started entertaining myself when we first moved here and we we're trying to figure life out and then I just kept it going. Yeah, because you don't make friends immediately. Right? No, no, it's, yeah. hard, it's, it's hard to make friends. And so when you're on stage and you have an audience, does that give you a ton of energy or that's not really why you do it? Um, 
I would get nervous uh, that I would, you know, for, that I would forget the lines. Um, and I think, I don't know why I did it. I think I just really liked it. Um, but the audience part, some people do it for that. That, that was never it for me because sometimes that would make me, like, nervous and I'd be afraid that I would forget lines. So, so or, rehearsing was as much fun as actually yeah. doing a show. Yeah. So, so I, did, um, I did enjoy all of that. All right, let's go. Let's talk about the theater just stop entirely after you decided not to go back to school? Yeah, pretty much. I just kind of started going to different, you know, other aspects of my life. Um, uh, just, yeah, I kind of moved on from it. Just yeah. started working full time and, uh, you know, I, I, I turned 21 and started working full time. And I, you know, worked with a bunch of other, you know, kind of um, same age uh, group of girls and we would all go out. And so just kind of regular life took over. And you've, you've mentioned competitive Irish dancing a couple times for your daughter. Oh, yes. What is Irish dancing? Um, like river dance. It's the easiest way to describe it. But, I mean, it's, it's you know, a, a very ancient form of dance in Ireland, but river dance kind of is what brought it to people's attention. But it's, it's uh, a fast pace is my impression. Right, yeah. Fairly energetic. Yes. You have to have very strong legs. Yeah. It's, a lot, it's a lot of movement in the legs. <laughs> and so for your daughter, like, did, did you put her in it and she just loved it and kept doing it? Or is it more of a family tradition sort of thing? Um, I put her in it when we – she was doing ballet, and then um, there was a place out in Chesterfield that offered it. Um, so I put her in it when she was seven, and that was just kind of uh, – it wasn't a competitive school. It was more like they do festivals and stuff. And then um, I put her in it, honestly, because my Uncle Michael and my Uncle Joe um, both uh, – it made them both really happy. <laughs> so <laughs> to have this one Irish dancer still in the family. Uh, and so um, – and then she, she, was, she was very good at it. And she's really good at rhythm, which she definitely gets from her dad, who was a drummer. Um, so she's, you know, really, really good at keeping beats and rhythms. And um, she's always – ever since she was very little, she's been very good at that. So she was good at it. And um, then we moved her to a competitive school. Um, here in the Richmond area. Four Irish dancing. Four Irish dance. So she would go to competitions. Um, there's, uh, there's a school, like after academic school, she would then go to this school? Yeah, so she would go to her regular, you know, school during the daytime, and then she would at nighttime go to Irish dancing classes, and that school was a competitive dance school. So uh, on the weekends, she would compete uh, all over, at, you know, all over the East Coast. It's a lot of tr time and money. It was a lot of, yes, it's very expensive. It's a very expensive sport. And you're still doing it. She actually has retired out. Um, she uh, um, kind of messed up her toes, unfortunately, with Irish dance. It's kind of like ballet. Some mm. people's feet just kind of blow out, and, uh, and hers did. So she decided that she uh, wanted to retire. And she was going to go back um, this, uh, this year. But um, she went back to a couple of classes, and her toes started hurting her again. Yeah. She, she danced here for us on St. Patrick's Day, and then she just kind of told her teacher that uh, she didn't know if her toes would hold up. and so She doesn't want to have toe pain the rest of her yeah, life. Either. Yeah, so, and her, I mean, her teacher's super understanding. So she um, said if she, you know, if she wants to come back in six more months or, you know, if she two years down the road wants to come back, come back whenever, whenever you want. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So, uh, so when did the idea of owning a pub start for you? So I um, worked for uh, a gentleman called Michael Rip that owned Havana 59. Okay. Um, he, he started Havana 59 um, when it first opened in, I think it was 1994. So I worked for Michael. Uh, my dad was friends with him. He used to go into Penny Lane, and he always wanted my dad to work for him. So when I um, was about 20, I was working at Penny Lane, and then I was looking to work um, kind of uh, – I was working Penny Lane during the daytime. And so I was kind of looking to pick up some shifts at night um, – so they needed a cigar girl at Havana. So I uh, started working there as a cigar girl. 
And then I started working there when I, when I turned 21 as a bartender um, on the night shifts. And I worked at Penny Lane during the day. And um, Michael always wanted my dad to work for him. So Michael was going to reopen his family's business called O'Brien Steins. His father owned it in Regency Square. Mm-hmm. And he was opening it downtown in Shaco Bottom next to Havana. So this building that we're in now. Okay. And um, he kept asking my dad. And the federal courthouse was being built on the original Penny Lane site, and they were moving Penny Lane to Fifth and Franklin. And my cousin Terrence was coming back from California, and he was going to, you know, kind of um, start to take it over from his dad and run it. And so my dad um, was like, well, why do – you know, I'm, I'm going to go um, work with Michael because he's been asking for years – Terrence is coming back to run Penny Lane. You guys are moving it. Now is kind of like an, you know, an opportune time just to kind of let Terrence and his dad do their thing. I'm going to go try this out and see how it goes. Um, just, you know, to try something different. Um, and uh, and so, so that all, you know, that all worked out. Ter- uh, Terry still comes in and seats people and hosts for Terrence, but Terrence and his wife, Lisa, now completely run Penny Lane. Um, so... My dad came and worked for Michael, and O'Brien Science was open for a couple of years, and then, um, you know, it just the concept just wasn't working in this neighborhood like it did kind of in the 80s in Regency, and so Michael was talking about selling it. My dad was like, "Well, I'd take over your lease," and then I changed around to just a pub, and so um, so they kind of agreed on that, and I at the time was working at uh, for my friend Rick at Bandito's. What year was this? 2004. Okay. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, I'll come, you know, if you want to do this, I'll come bartend here. And, um, so originally it was just my dad, uh, my, my parent, my mom and dad owned it. Um, and so the day that my dad was supposed to sign the lease, I was actually pregnant at the time. Cause I, I do remember this, uh, cause I was watching the TV and I just turned on the TV and it was raining very heavily. It was, um, the tropical storm Gaston. It was a day my dad was supposed to sign the lease with Michael and Michael called him and was like, Oh, why don't we just sign it tomorrow? It's raining terribly. Like, we'll just catch up tomorrow. And we'll sign it then. And my dad's like, yeah, all right, whatever. Cause normally we were closed on a Monday. It was on a Monday. And, um, so I look and there is our, our, what would be restaurant just, with water underwater and there's like 14 inches of rain in 12 hours there's like you know um boats coming to pick up people off rooftops and it looked like the james river was outside of this building and this was before the lock system went in or or they didn't pull it in time what happened it was the all the drains were so old in this neighborhood and they had they were all basically clogged and you had 14 you know it was like it was 14 inches in 14, 12 yeah, hours. In, yeah, 12 hours of rain, 14 inches. And so the sewer system couldn't keep up with the rain that was going into it. So then it started bubbling back up. So really the flood wall wouldn't have helped. It, it regar- had nothing to do yeah, with Yeah, it, it wouldn't help regardless because yeah. the drain, I mean, it was just where, you know, that much water just couldn't go anywhere. These drains were all super old. I mean, they've all been redone now. Um, but, you know, I mean, who, no one ever would have expected what happened that day. I mean, right. no, no one that worked for the city, no one that owned one of these restaurants, like no one thought that that was ever good it's just a freak it's a once every hundred years yeah. sort of thing yeah so um uh so lewis salamonsky and brian white um actually owned this building at the time and so michael um was just like all right i'm just gonna let it go like i'm letting my lease go so lewis and brian white said to my dad they're like if you still want to do it it's going to take eight months to redo this whole building um you know it's yours if you want it and mm. so he ended up signing a lease with them and uh, and they owned, like I said, owned the building at the time, and it took eight months to 
uh, basically gut this whole place and re... Because where we are now is underwater. Completely underwater. It went yeah. to the second story of this building. That's unbelievable. So uh, the whole thing, mold, you know, because of mold, um, had to be gutted and then redone. So it took about eight months for, for uh, those guys to, to redo all this. And then, so when did you decide you wanted to be a co-owner? Um, a couple of years into it, um, my dad, uh, you know, cause I, I mean, I just, you know, I, I, I worked here all the time. And so I, you know, my dad was like, well, you should just sign on, you know, sign on to the lease. And, um, so I'd say maybe, I think it was about two years ago. I actually signed on to the, to the lease lease and on the ABC and all the paperwork and everything that goes with it. Um, so. But you're a full fledged co-owner now. Yes. And have been for yeah, Well, a now, and now I just run it completely. Um, so my dad, um, like, he'll do, like, he'll come in and he'll fix things. Um, you know, like, the sink behind the bar needed fixing the other day. And uh, he fixed, uh, you know, he there was uh, one of the, the sockets, the electrical sockets went out. So he's handy and fixed that. And we call him the maintenance man. <laughs> <laughs> but you're you're not only a co-owner, you're you're the managing partner. It right. Like. Yes. Yeah. 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 So... All right, I, we're going to talk a lot more about Rosie Conley's, but I, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. You and I are sitting here because we both know Steve Dunphy. Yes. I know Steve because I grew up with Steve in, in the uh, metropolis of Ashland, Virginia. How do you know Steve? Um, I know Steve because he works with uh, actually quite a few of my friends, um, but he works with one of my best friends. So um, that's uh, that's I met Steve uh, through him. They came in for dinner one night when they were both working, and um, we met Steve, and we love Steve. <laughs> Yeah, Steve's pretty popular. Yeah, we love Steve. And then Steve is also um, good friends with one of my dad's good friends um, who used to be a Richmond Coffee's retired now. Um, and uh, him and Steve worked together for years. So, that's, so you've known uh, Steve for a while. So, yeah. I've known, I've known Steve since 2020. Um, oh, that, it's that recent? Yeah, it's that recent. Um, but um, Steve's known pretty – we've known the same circle of people uh, for years. Yeah, he's a smooth guy, isn't he? Yeah. He's, he's very – he's a secretive, a secretive man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I never – like, I, I know, you know – when he first started coming in, he was like the silent man, and then he opened up to us, and now we love Steve. But I also think he thinks every girl that works here is completely insane. Because <laughs> whenever he comes in, everyone's like high-fiving him and acting like he's the mayor. <laughs> well, Steve's a good-looking guy. We love, Yeah, Steve's great. We love him. Yeah. Well, he's got a great personality, too. Yeah, he's super nice. And he's the kind of guy that would do anything for you. Yeah. You just he, have to ask him. He really is a nice person. Yeah, yeah. So we're glad that we got to have Steve in our, in our family and there should in be our more, lives. There should be more people like Steve. There should be more Steves. All right, we'll come back to He's the, also going to kill both of us right now. Oh, he'll be fine. <laughs> I think the two of us can take it. <laughs> but one-on-one with either one of us, maybe that's a problem. But uh, the two of us, I think we've got it. All right, so uh, the best part about running a, a pub. Um, I will say the best part about running a pub is um, all the regulars. Mm. We have really, really, really nice regulars. And regulars have turned into, like, friends. So, and a regular is somebody who comes by at least once a week. Um, I well, yeah, at least once a week. These regulars definitely, you know, they come in like three times a week, and they, I mean, and they're more, you know, like family now than than regulars or customers. Um, we, you know, go, we we do stuff outside of this restaurant together. Oh, uh, on Sunday, our entire staff went to the Churchill Irish Festival, and all of our regulars were with us. So it's more of like a friendship. It's definitely not like a customer bartender or customer owner type of relationship. It's just friendship. Uh, how many regulars, roughly? Uh, oh my god! I think we had a group of like twenty of us up there. Wow. Okay. Um, at the uh, at the Irish Festival this past Sunday. That's really cool. It was a good time. We all had a good time. When you That's say our this, favorite. We love that. When you festival. say this past Sunday, the, yesterday or yes, yesterday, yeah, yeah. yesterday. Yeah. All right. Let's. I'll go back to you and I were originally going to record the Monday after St. Patrick's Day. That's right. And I think you were probably exhausted. Uh, that entire weekend. Oh yeah. Describe from your perspective, starting on St. Patrick's Day 
through, say, Sunday? I would say I felt really bad for customers that came in Sunday because I probably looked like I was sleeping behind the bar, and they're probably like, why is that girl standing up to sleep? <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we tried to, like, high-five all the customers that came in Sunday and be like, it's so fun, and we were so tired by that point. We're like, so much fun. Because <laughs> you, you had done nothing but work Friday and, and Saturday, right? Uh, yeah, so we had gotten um, – we had um, on the Wednesday, so that would have been the 15th. It was my birthday. And then we also had um, an Irish session, which is like an Irish music jam. Wait a minute. Your birthday is two days before St. Patrick's Day? Yeah. I was supposed to be born on St. Patrick's Day, but I showed up two days early. I like to keep my mom on her toes. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, on the 15th, um, we had the an Irish session night here. So that's uh, sometimes we'll have 10 musicians. Sometimes 20 will show up. Like a jam session? Yep. Um, it's all traditional Irish music. Um, and they've been doing it for years. And um, so we had the, so that was a busy night and a lot of fun. Well, let's, let's stop there. What kind of instruments are we talking about? Um, fit the fiddles and drums and kind of, you know, uh, guitar, um, not really. I don't know if there's a guitar sometimes, sometimes like there's the core group that always stick together and, and they know each other and they play in, in bands, you know, throughout Richmond and, and then they do this traditional Irish music together and then they'll have people who will hear about it and pop in with whatever instrument mm. they play and the core group will incorporate that instrument into what, you know, what they're doing. Is there a flute? There is a flute. Okay. There's always a flute. Mandolin? There is a mandolin. Okay. Yeah. It's a... Stand-up bass, or is that too much? That's too bluegrass. I don't think I've seen a stand-up bass yet. Yeah. Um, violins, for sure. Okay. Uh, do they call them fi- violins, or do they call them fiddles? I think they call them fiddles. I yeah. just call it a violin. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> um, there is one. Uh, there's a lady, Kelly Kennedy, who uh, she she comes here. Um, uh, we probably see her. I think she probably like twice a month uh, and we've known her she used to be in a band called 39 Fingers years ago they played at the old Penny Lane so, uh, that's a fun name yeah I've, kn- I've known her for years um, so she'll pop in and play music um, do, you, do you know where the name 39 Fingers comes from I believe one guy was missing a finger so there are four of them yeah yeah there it is and one was missing a finger <laughs> so so um yeah we so, so she'll so she'll pop in um uh, there's another gentleman, Andy, and he, I feel like he kind of runs it. Um, not on a, like, he's not in charge of it, but, like, everyone kind of turns to him because he's very skilled in music. Mm. Um, he builds fiddles. Uh, oh, wow. Like, from scratch. He's amazing. Um, so, yeah, there, yeah. there's a, a core group of them. Um, sadly, uh, we found out the news yesterday that one of the guys, he also plays in a couple of bluegrass bands in Richmond, uh, Jeff Brown, he's an amazing person, um, passed away yesterday, uh, Saturday suddenly. Mm. Um, so that was really sad news to, to hear out. But I mean, he, he was, was, he, was on, he wasn't that old. Uh, no, so no, was like, uh, 65, I think. Yeah, that's, um, that's too young. Yeah, but he, um, I mean, he will be missed. Like, you know, just friendliest guy you could ever meet. Just, wow. Big, big smile always. Love playing music. Would show up and play with these guys and just really great guy. So Sad. Yeah. All right, so the 15th was was a jam session. Then what yep. was Thursday? Like? And then Thursday was kind of slow, but that's pretty typical for us the night before. Um, you know, we have set, we have some groups for, for dinner. We get everything ready. We uh, we set the party tent up because we tent the patio, and we keep this party tent up for So for, all, all of this was tented? All of that was tented with a okay. big, huge um, party tent with, with uh, walls. Um, and so we kind of just get everything ready. So we don't mind the night before being kind of uh, – because people are always like, why don't you do a big event the night before? But – our staff is so small that it kind of is easier for just to have our the, the dinner reservations that come in and then, you know, everyone else is just kind of getting everything ready in right. the background. And then we open at 11 a.m. on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> I would think there was a line starting at 10. And I felt bad because people were showing up and I was like, we just can't let you in yet. We just have to have a minute to get it 
to get open. That's so early that like people were out of out of the day by mid afternoon. I'm guessing it's like like they probably had to go home or somebody had to take them home. Yeah, um, I mean it just kept going all day. It was a uh, you know. It was you. You could see the 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 crowd kind of flow. Like the morning crowd started to to leave, and then you saw the afternoon crowd, that which turned into like the late night, you know, evening late night crowd. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's no way anybody made it from 11 a.m. to 2 a.m. I think we had one person. <laughs> My gosh. <laughs> um, but they paced themselves with water. Had to. So we do have the ancient order of the Hibernians. Um, they do mass up at St. Patrick's, which is um, at 25th and Broad. And yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah. And so then they come down after mass. They do mass and they have a breakfast there. I think they have like coffee and like pastries and, uh, you know, a uh, little chit chat. And then they come down um, and right at 11 and uh, they all have drinks and, and hang out for a while. And then. They're all wearing um, they green. Head out. They all wear the green jackets. And they 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 have uh, green headgear. Or, or they wear sashes. I've I, I don't I have seen them. They wear like a tricolor sash of the Irish flag and right. then uh, the, the green jacket. Yeah. Okay. Um. So so they all wear those and they all come down after mass. And, Super um, proud of their Irish. They yeah. are. Yeah. 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 The uh, and then they do. They have a tent up at the um, Irish festival and they do raffle tickets to win a trip to Ireland and we help them out and sell raffle tickets for them for the month of March from mm. behind the bar. Nice. So yeah. All right, so you survived St. Patrick's Day. I, yeah, I, I did. Barely. It was very busy. <laughs> How many people are enjoying St. Patrick's Day here at Rosalie Connolly's that have zero Irish heritage? I think that on St. Patrick's Day, everybody has a little Irish really? something. That's what I like to tell them or tell myself. So, <laughs> Every, I mean, or even if you just, you know, you just want to, you, you like it and you want to be around everybody else having a good time. and So in spirit, everybody's Irish. Yeah. And, we, and we do have a group of, of actual guys that all moved to America from Ireland. There's about 10 of them, all younger guys or, you know, in their early 30s, late 20s. Um, they were all in. Um, they are, um, some of them play uh uh, like on different like football teams around town. Some of them do the hurling. They're on the hurling team. Um, f- that there is a hurling team in Lisbon. I, I had no idea yeah, there was yeah. a hurling team. Yep. Yeah, so well, hold on, hold on. What is hurling? It is. Uh, it's, not, it's not getting sick. No, no. It's an Irish. <laughs> it's an Irish sport. You know, where you see them with the stick. Yeah, like, that's a crazy sport. Yeah. So, so they do have a hurling team in Richmond. That's brutal. Um. Yeah. It's it's like uh, a crazy person's lacrosse. <laughs> you gotta be tough. You're, you gotta be tough. Which I mean, most of these guys are tough, so it works out. And the girls, there's there's women on it too. You can't you can't disparage them. They're pretty tough girls. There's uh there's something on Instagram showing a guy uh, going from one end of the I'm saying field. I don't know if that's what you call it. One end of the field to to the other end to score a goal. And the Irish uh, announcer is just he's be- <laughs> beautiful Irish accent. Uh, and he's super happy that his guy is making all these amazing right. moves, and then he misses it at the end, oh. and he had nothing positive to say for the next minute or so. It happens, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. But I, the Irish are the only ones that play hurling, right? I mean, they, obviously they're playing it here now, but yeah, uh, yeah, uh, uh, originally. But I mean, I, I suppose as they move, you know, away from Ireland, they take it to to wherever whatever country they, they you know they've they've moved to yeah because it's definitely popular in richmond i mean it's a pretty big group that um i think they sometimes they'll have events here and i want to say about 40 or 50 people will show up so i mean it's a pretty large group yeah. that plays yeah. and i mean they have to have other teams to play against so i imagine it's at least a one lot o- more at least than, one other <laughs> right <laughs> it gets kind of old if they only play one of the teams so i imagine they're probably uh, yeah several uh, so you mentioned these t- guys that are in their late twenties. Yeah. So they all 30s. they all came. Uh, they they moved over here for work. Um, uh, to Richmond. To Richmond. Yep. A lot of them work for Dupont and different different okay. things. Um, so so they're a fun group, and I think that um, 
they definitely bring a lot of fun on St. Patrick's Day because they have a good time themselves. And then they embrace literally everybody else in this room that we're sitting in with them. And so it's like its own party in this dining room with this group of Irish guys. <laughs> <laughs> and they have Irish accents. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're super, yeah, very, very thick accents. So is Saturday a repeat of Friday? Um, so Saturday we were not, we did not know what to expect and we're like, oh, we, you know, I feel like most everybody probably partied on Friday. We opened at two and by two fifteen there's probably a hundred people in here and none of us were expecting it. And we're like, oh no, <laughs> we got to move fast. Cause St. Patrick's Day once every seven years hits on a Friday. Yeah. So, um, we did not know what to expect on the Saturday, but the Saturday was pretty, was pretty popular. I think when St. Patrick's Day hits on a Friday, everybody's viewing it as St. Patrick's yeah, whole weekend. weekend. Yeah. 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 To include Sunday, I'm guessing. Sunday um, was ac- Sunday was actually we did brunch and then we closed at five, so it was uh, the the usual brunch crowd and um, and then and then we were done. We're, we closed. Oh, we actually closed early. We closed an hour early. We closed at four, and then the entire staff went home and passed out. <laughs> I think I was. In, I think I went to sleep at eight o'clock on Sunday. I was in the bed fast asleep with the covers pulled up over my head. Like twelve hours of I, sleep that night. Yeah. probably. I, like I even missed my the premiere of my favorite show. I was so sad. Wow. I know. You can record it though, right? I forgot because I just wasn't paying attention. And then I last night I was like, oh man, I missed the like the first episode. <laughs> so so you're pretty uh, happy that we didn't record last Monday. Last Monday, I, I, I just had so much going on, and they were taking the tent down, and they were coming to get the, you know, we rent portable toilets and everything, so all of that was getting picked up, and then I was like, oh, I'm just not going to, I was like, I, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to fall asleep in front of this microphone. So, uh, yeah, so I'm glad we're doing this now. Uh, running a pub, what's not so good about it? Um, what is not so good about it? Uh, sometimes running a pub is very frustrating. So for us, um, we used to have streets outside of our front door and yeah. in, in the original farmer's market, the way they had it. So that was also 70 parking spaces. So oh, yeah, when the city, right. when the city wanted to build this pedestrian area, which originally was supposed to be, I think with the baseball stadium and then they, the baseball stadium didn't happen, but I don't know why they wanted to continue on with this pedestrian area. Some of the business owners really wanted it. Some of them did not. I definitely was fine just continuing on with the streets. 70 parking spots plus the farmer's market was right. here. Right, correct. Like, like an actual the farmer's The actual market. original, yeah, with yeah. The, the, the awning things. Yeah. And the, yeah. Um, so, you know, the plus side was we, we do have this beautiful patio. The negative side is parking. And the construction took way longer than they told us it was going to take. You know, what I think they told us it was going to take 16 months. And it was like two and a half years. Mm. I mean, you'd walk outside sometimes and it was just, just there was nobody working on it. And you'd be like, what, where is everybody? Zero urgency. Zero. Yeah. I mean, zero. And I mean, these, you know, I mean, you've got pretty much every owner of these restaurants is from a different country and come to America to live the American dream. And they got here and they made these, re- they got these restaurants and, and they've, you know, worked hard to, to keep them open, keep them going. And then you have pretty much zero sense of urgency, unfortunately. Um, from the city why not open a pub out in Henrico County the way that so the way for us for Rosie Connolly's it kind of all fell into place um, after Gaston uh, with you know the way we got the building if if we moved it out there there's we would have to rebuild from the like the whole kind of outside of the building looks like a pub like you would if you went to Liverpool and walked up to a, to an actual like you know pub in Liverpool or if you went to Dublin and walked up to a pub there it looks just like Rosie Connolly's Mm -hmm. you walk in and it looks just like that 
Um, and you would basically have to, if you're going to move it, you'd have to build out an entire building. And it would seem out of place in, in a, uh, the, the suburbs. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could either just, you know, open a pub and slap some, you know, Irish flags on the wall and be like, look, it's a pub. Or you could do it like this, where it's a real build out. And this is what a, you go there and this is what a pub looks like. And we've got some amazing things on the walls here. Yeah, the dining room has a lot uh, has a lot of horse theme, which obviously I'm into because I love horses. So this, this <laughs> so is you. This was actually my dad, all the racehorse stuff. Um, and then one day I was looking at it and I was like, oh man, I never even really put two and two together. <laughs> a lot of yeah. Now that so, I'm looking around, yeah, there are so a lot it's of horses. a lot a lot of kind of the like the race the the racehorses and the yeah the jockeys and so which is you, also very popular where I come did from. Did you have a horse growing up? Um, I didn't. My neighbor had a horse growing up, and so I would um, ride with her. And then um, within the past year, I ended up getting back into riding, and um, uh, now I do have a horse, which is very exciting. So when you ride, are you, are you jumping, or is it? Um, I actually decided to, when I started riding again, to try Western. Um, I don't even know what that means. Because I live in America, and I love, <laughs> I want, I love uh, you know western type stuff so um i that's what i do i ride western what does that mean uh just a different saddle and different okay. you know no uh no no jumping and no um you know different different than like what you would see like with the you know the fox hunting and all that right. just completely opposite like a rodeo like uh you know cow roping and that kind do, of stuff do the horses dance in western Oh, that is dressage. Um, oh, wow. uh, that's really that's very that, fancy. That sounds extremely fancy. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, my horse would be like, "Girl, what do you think we're doing?" <laughs> so you guys just go out for walks. Yeah, we do trail rides a lot. Okay. Yeah. And what what is it about that that you? Uh, it's very relaxing, very. Uh, but you do have to focus, obviously. So sometimes my mind can, with this restaurant and just everything else in life, you know, my mind is uh, everywhere. So it's easier to. It, it's kind of like streamlines your focus into like an hour of a trail ride. You're like, all right, I'm just focused on this ride and this horse, and you're being present. Yeah. It's almost like a form of meditation. Yeah, it is. Yeah. They, and it's therapeutic. You know. Yeah. Horses are very therapeutic. Yeah. I, what What is it about horses that makes people? Uh, focus and relax like that well i mean if you you know with while you're riding you kind of have to so you don't end up hurting yourself or the horse um and then when you're just taking care of them i mean they're just so lovey-dovey i mean they're gigantic lovey animals and massive animals (laughs) they're huge (laughs) yeah it's unbelievable how big they can get yeah so i mean you know you're just you know they just give just pure love to you out of like they expect nothing in return just give you you know give you love well they expect mints from me in return A lot of mints, carrots, they see you coming. Apples. Oh yeah, they're like, here comes that sucker. She's always got treats. (laughs) We even we have a don we even have a donkey, and he flat out knows I'm a sucker. And do do you have a little farm where you live? I where I board my horse. um, There's a there's a donkey. Well, there's two donkeys, um, but there's one that is uh, my favorite, and he knows I'm a sucker. And every time he sees me, he's like, she's got treats, and I know it. Let me go bite her pocket. He he, he makes a beeline to you. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So you're either running the pub. You're working out. Yep. You're on a horse. Yep. What else? Um, you have going on? Uh, hanging, hanging out with my daughter. Okay. Um, helping my husband do whatever kind of, you know, things that he needs help around the house. Even though I mostly just get in his way and I'm not very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, and then hanging out with the the girls that work here. That's that's my. That's my crew that I hang out with. All right, right on. Um, sometimes I'll pop up to Penny Lane and watch a Liverpool match and bug my cousin. Um, yeah. All right. Nice. That's about it. Uh, have you had some employees that have been here since the beginning? 
Um, we have had uh, Lauren that works here. She's worked here for nine years. Pretty much everybody that works here has worked here a, a, a long time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Lauren's been here the longest. She's been here for nine years. It's like a family. Yeah. Yes. And, I mean, the seven of us total. If you include my, my dad, um, you know, he'll come in and help and stuff. Um, but, f- like, working here all the time, there's seven. Between the kitchen and the front of the house, there's seven of us. Uh, do some of the customers ever get out of hand? No, surprisingly, not really. Um, everybody is pretty pretty nice. I mean, any restaurant's going to have somebody who drinks too much and gets a little unruly. But for the most part, um, I feel if you have an assertive attitude, people kind of respect it and mm. know that they can't walk all over you. So I feel if somebody starts getting a little rude with us, I give back that same energy. And for the most part, it calms down. Or we just politely ask them to leave. Only a couple of times has it gotten out of control where we've, you know, had to call the police or, you know, basically just tell them to go. But for the most part, everyone's pretty, pretty nice, pretty respectful. I'm a little surprised it's only two incidents where you've had to call the police. Yeah, um, we, you know, and I mean, and that's only if it's like dire because they really don't need to be wasting their time with a, you know unruly bar customers that we could probably just remove ourselves yeah. but um for the yeah for the most part every everybody that comes in it's a lot like i said it's a lot of regulars i'd say it's 80 percent regulars um so we all know each other and everyone's super nice and then you will get people you know like on a saint patrick's day people don't understand why you can't serve them anymore mm-hmm. and um, we do have to follow rules i mean we don't want to get ourselves in trouble with the abc so people will get frustrated at that and we, we try to just calmly explain like listen these are not my rules we're stuck following them just like everybody else you know if you come back tomorrow you can have a good time again yeah. and for the most part people are pretty good and, and they'll they'll go on their own yeah, I mean, so. you, you shouldn't overserve, right? Because who knows what they'll. they'll yeah, I mean, you know, it, God forbid they get they they drive off or, or something happens to them or they, you know, it's it, nobody wants that on their head. I I don't want that on mine. So. I can see you matching energy of a customer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I I'm, I try to always uh, just you know kind of diffuse the situations, but sometimes you just have to match energy, no. and that's just how it goes. You, you can't. You cannot let people walk all over you. You have to have more than one tool in your tool bag. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And coming from Liverpool, I learned um, that I'm very good at matching energy at an early age. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I said, people from Liverpool are the kindest people, but also uh, they don't they don't put up with uh, with a lot of messing around. Uh, yeah. No tolerance for nonsense. No, you can you can only push your buttons for so long, and then uh, then it's no longer. They'll, some, let, they'll let you know. Some of your neighbors around here, I imagine, have been here for a while, too. Yes. So Havana's been here, uh, like I said, since the, since 94. Um, uh, Addie's the Ethiopian restaurant across the street. Uh, they've been here at least 15 years, I think. Um, I want to say at least 15 years. Lulu's, that's owned by Paul Keevil, who owns Millie's. Lulu's has been here for at least 15 years as well, I think. 12 years. Yeah, I've been um, to Lulu's and Millie's multiple times. Yeah. yeah they're, they're so, great. yeah, we've known Paul um, since he moved to America because he's also from England. Ah. Uh, so he uh, moved to America in the 80s as well, and we've known him ever since. Um, he's a good friend of the family. Nice. And, um, yeah, so we uh, we see him a lot and check in with him. And then there's a couple of other spaces on the market right now that are um, closed, but they're, uh, I think, uh, getting renovated and going to be rented out to, um, to other restaurant owners. And There so. has been some turnover in some of the yeah unfortunately yes the pandemic definitely hurt everybody um and a couple of them just never came back from it 
the construct between the construction and then the construction ended and then the pandemic began. So it was just like no win situation for Shaco Bottom. How did it's you guys been survive? Pretty painful. Um, we the construction ended and we had that first St. Patrick's Day with our new patio and we had to close at 5 p.m. because of uh, the pandemic, and um, we make it a point um, through the years uh, we just don't take out of the restaurant we just keep everything in it um to for emergencies like this um so we were able to make it and then we got some um the city did a couple of uh grants for the restaurant um the mayor's office did a couple of restaurant grants and we were lucky enough to get some of those um and just kind of help us float along till we could reopen so we did close for the three months um of the pandemic and then we reopened and we could only reopen at first just on the patio people weren't allowed inside and we did um the mayor that's crazy looking back at it right and so that's why i'm saying that the patio ended up being our savior even though that construction almost killed us in the end the patio having the big patio saved us through the pandemic part of it was bad at the start and then uh ended up working out yeah so so that that definitely all these restaurants on this square the, the patios definitely helped them be able to reopen right at the three-month marker i'm sure the city of richmond saw that coming and that's why they right <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah I, I i i will say that 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 definitely helped and and the mayor um you know let everybody kind of expand the patios out into the pedestrian mall area and um, get more tables out there and be able to kind of seat a little a spread out the seating correctly and then and then seat more tables um until we're allowed to kind of open back inside yeah, um because if you don't make concessions like that it's devastating to all these small businesses around here and they they yeah, would not have survived right and a lot of them did not a lot of them just couldn't make it they didn't they didn't have patios so they still had to just stay closed mm-hmm. and then when we reopened the inside seating was 50 percent. you're only allowed to seat no bar seating and only 50 percent of your tables so for places that are bar that are bar heavy i mean everybody has to serve food in virginia but some places are more bar heavy than they are food heavy i mean that was just crippled them because you couldn't even have bar stools you couldn't let anyone sit or stand at the bar um for somebody that just made that up at some point i'm pretty sure yeah yeah i mean um, that doesn't make any sense yeah i mean that was on the higher obviously on a much higher level than you know it was the federal level of these rules came down and yeah but they, they, they were they, they were guidance right but, the, but they portrayed them like they were rules but they were really right. just guidance yeah and for us i mean we just had to do whatever we were told so because right. you know it it is we could have gotten in trouble so we did not no no i I get it you want to follow the rules because you want to stay in business yeah so i mean it was definitely it was not it was not easy it it was you know it's it's hard you you know you move you move here you work really hard your whole life you finally you know you start your restaurant starts doing something and you know and uh something good and people are talking about it and then all of a sudden you're closed down yeah and uh and just you don't know if you're going to reopen at all scary yeah when did you know you're going to make it though um, we put in for, um, originally we were not going to put in for any of those, the PPP loans. Yeah. Um, and then we ended up putting in for one and that helped. And then we were able to bring our, our whole staff back and start paying them. Um, and then we started, that's, so we'd closed the March through, we reopened at the end of May. Mm. So we got that loan and we're like, all right. And we brought everybody back on the payroll and started paying them. Um, and we, we tried to help out as much as we possibly could. Luckily, a lot of them had just only worked here for forever. So they were able to get unemployment for that three, three months. Um, kind of unemployment was in limbo where normally you have to apply for two jobs a week, but they kind of cut that for a couple of months while everybody was figuring out <clears throat> if their job was going to reopen. So um, we brought them back. We got that. We brought everybody back, put everybody's back on the payroll. And then, um, 
we started uh, seating the patio, and then that summer was just super busy because people still couldn't travel around. They couldn't move. It was right. hard to travel, and um, but people were tired of staying in their – I know I was tired of staying in my house. Um, so people wanted to be out and about, and they felt, I think, safer just sitting outside on a patio but still being able to have some kind of normalcy. Um, so, uh, that patio season was very, very busy. Um, so it worked out well for, so you knew by the summer of 20, you guys were probably yeah, going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, it still was rough. Uh, you know, even in 2021, we're like, man, is this like, are we really, are we going to make it? Like the, 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 you know, the, the grant that we got ran out, um, you know, you still have to, whatever money you take in is still being pushed out to pay staff and, and beer and insurance and food and you know everything. So it was still a little a little scary, but um, but everything kind of started to bounce bounce back now and. And where you are today, you feel like you're in a pretty good spot. Yeah, now now you know now it's starting to kind of roll roll along, into some normalcy. Is there a signature meal that you guys serve? I would say our the fish and chips. Everyone okay. seems yeah, everyone seems to love it. And then we do have a um, loaded curry fry, which is delicious. Mm. It's the hand cut fries with like a kind of like a mild curry sauce and like a fried chicken, peppers, onions, mushrooms. It's mm. all loaded into one bowl. And that is um, we started doing that about a year ago, just because everybody would always um, ask for a side of curry with like their their like chicken fingers and fries. Mm. And so like, why did we load it all that into one bowl and did some fried chicken on top of it? Oh, so this is your signature. Um, yeah, so it's Ro- yeah. it's Rosie Connolly's signature. I think we're the only place in Richmond that does it. <laughs> can so. we can we call it your, by your name? Um, we oh. just call it loaded curry fries. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we do, uh, yeah, that that and the the fish and chips is definitely very popular. And then we have a good burger night, a Thursday burger night, where we okay. do a, beer, a burger and a pint for twelve bucks, and that's okay. popular. All right, nice. Um, yeah. Signature uh, mixed drink. We do a uh, Guinness. We do the well. We don't say it, but people have told us we do the best pi- best pint of Guinness in town. Mm. And then we do the uh, we we do the clover on the top. So we take when we're doing when we're pouring the pint, we move the glass around to make the clover in the foam. Uh, why do you guys have the best Guinness in town? Uh, that's what people have told us. Uh, we've been voted to the best Guinness in town. Um, we just go through so much of the Guinness, uh, and we just keep the line flowing continuously. Uh, Sometimes if Guinness sits in a beer line too long and you taste this metallic taste, uh, that means it sat in that line too long. Um, so you avoid that? Yeah, we uh, we just the Guinness is constantly flowing. We just sell so much of it that it just moves. It never sits in the line. Um, and then when we get in every day, we pour we pour out that line to make sure it's flowing. Yeah. Um, so that way it's just not just beer sitting in the beer line to come yeah. through into the tap. I'm learning all kinds of fun things. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'm going to throw you off entirely uh, with the question that I ask most folks. Yeah. It's actually my buddy's question, but I, I, I do enjoy this question, especially because it uh, gives insight into who you are that typical questions wouldn't uh, get you. So imagine you're a talk show host. Okay. Day talk show, night talk show, late night, whatever. But it's a one-time only. You can invite people that are famous, not famous, so friends and family. They can be living or dead. Okay. Um, a female, a male, a musical act. And if you're into stand-up comedy, you can uh, share a stand-up comedian. All right. Female, male, musical, musical act. I'll start with the musical act. Okay. Rod Stewart. What is it about Rod Stewart? Love Rod Stewart. I've loved Rod Stewart since I was little. He's my favorite. I've seen him 10 times in concert. Wow. I know. <laughs> it's insane. He's not from Liverpool, is he? He is um, He is uh, Scottish. Or his father's Scottish, and he's from London. He was um, shy when he first started singing, yeah, right? Yeah, he, he was in The Faces. I also love The Faces. Yeah, he, uh, with, he wouldn't come Ron out Wood. the first time. He, uh, the story I heard, his first 
in-person concert, he was behind stage singing. Yeah. Like, he didn't want to come out. I never heard that. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I, love, yeah. I, I could be making that up. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I love. I think when I, when I was little, um, like I said, my dad really liked music, and so you know we, he'd play uh, different records, and um, uh, so we would listen to a lot of Rod Stewart. And I think it just reminds, like my for some odd reason, like my my the family that, like I said, my mom's um, sister married into this big Irish family, and all the sisters in the family would have a few drinks in the pub, and then they'd all start singing Hot Legs and dance around. So I think that uh, that's where my love for Rod Stewart came from. I, 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 for, I forgot about that song. Yeah, this entire, like, you know, uh, large family just dancing around to Hot Legs and singing at the top of their lungs. He's in his 80s now, right? He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just saw him. Um, my parents and I went to Las Vegas and saw him at the uh, Caesars Palace. Oh, he's still doing it? Last of September. Yeah, we had a great time. Oh, wow. <laughs> We do love Rod Stewart. Yeah, he, he was internationally famous for decades. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Rod Stewart would be definitely my musical act, which I'm sure people are like, what is wrong with this girl? No, <laughs> I, think a lot of people would, I think a lot of people would say that's yeah. awesome. Um, or ABBA. I, I do love ABBA as well. I don't get ABBA as much as I get Rod Stewart. Yeah, I do. I do love some ABBA. My mom loved ABBA, so that's probably why I like them. Um, so, yeah. And then um, does Robin Williams count as a stand-up comedian? Because sure. he was a comedian. Oh, my gosh. He was so, definitely stand-up yeah. for a long time. Um, so, uh, definitely Robin Williams. Yeah, he, he should still be with us. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he was so, he was so good and like so pure, you know, yeah. it's very sad what happened to him. And, um, male would be my dad's dad. Mm. Uh, so my grandfather, um, do you remember him? Uh, he actually died before I was born. Yeah. Um, he was a docker for his whole life, worked on the docks. And um, ended up uh, sadly dying. He pretty much had like asbestos poisoning and all, like in his lungs, all just from working and on the ships and all the cargo. And back then, you know, in the 40s and the 50s, there was no regulations no. For, for for dockers and working on those docks and ships for and, anybody. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, sadly, he um, he passed away uh, before I was born. But so, you, you've heard stories about him. Oh yeah, my my dad and um, my uncle David uh, just always talk about him. <laughs> That's a, he's well he's well missed. Yeah. And um, female, I think oh, would be my sister because um, unfortunately my sister passed away as well. Yeah. Um, so I would pick my sister if I could. And you were tight with her, even though you guys were a few years apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we were um, we were buddies. So we moved. Well, you know, when we were little and moved here together, we we stuck together. And then uh, later later in life, yeah. <laughs> so I would pick her. <laughs> Yeah, and she's your she was your only sibling, right? Yeah, so now yeah, now it's yeah. just me. Um, I, but she does have three daughters um, that I'm very close with, and then my own daughter. So. Do you feel like you're a mother of four? Um, some yeah, some, sometimes. Oh, sometimes when you know they'll call me with their problems, I'm like, oh man, I don't know that I don't know the answers to this, but. <laughs> um, but they, yeah, they're they're funny. They're very very smart girls, and all very uh, just going in their own direction and doing their own thing. Funny so, funny girls. Uh, funny's good. Yeah, one lives in D.C., so we don't see her that much. Um, the, and then two live in Richmond, so I see them all the time. Okay. So yeah. So it's, it, you do you have three plus daughters? Yeah, the two the two in Richmond were out for St. Patrick's Day. They had a blast. They they came down with their dad and uh, had some drinks. Your daughter's the youngest. <laughs> My daughter's the youngest. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right, tell us a little bit, as we close, tell us a little bit more about your husband and your daughter. Um, so my husband, um, he sells wine. Uh, he is a uh, wine rep um, for a company out of Manassas uh, called uh, Dionysus. It's a, a Greek, uh, the, the gentleman that owns it, uh, Yanni, is uh, Greek. So um, they do a lot of Greek wines, uh, Portuguese, um, everything. Um, he is, his dad was uh, with uh, the um, FBI for, for right. a long time. Uh, they lived up in uh, Stafford County. Um, so... His dad is um, a really funny guy. He's got a lot of stories. Um, and then um, my uh, 
husband also um, does a lot around the house. We live out in Powhatan. He likes to fix a lot of things. He likes to tinker with everything, the lawnmower, you name it, he tinkers with it. Um, He's not that old to be tinkering so much. Oh, no, no, he, like, he likes it. He, he, like, he does not like to have to get things fixed. He likes to figure out the problem, and he's going to fix it himself. And he enjoys it. He enjoys it, yeah. 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 So he's very, very good at that. He's, somehow his brain just kind of figures it out. And he, and his dad was the same, well, is the same way. His dad's very similar. So if he has a problem and can't figure it out, he calls his dad, and his dad's like, all right, this is how you're going to do it. <laughs> so, and then my daughter, um, she is, you know, I like to call her a free spirit. She's uh, very, uh, you know, likes to go to the beat of her own drum. She's very funny. Um, she works out at the Westchester Chick-fil-A, and she's been there for a while. And um, it, like I said, she just retired from competitive Irish dance. She works at Total Terror, which is a uh, haunted attraction out mm. in Powhatan in, the, uh, in October. Okay. So she likes to scare the crap out of people and jump out of the woods at them because she's a lunatic. <laughs> yeah, I, that was never a thing for me. But I no, I, I don't. Yeah, she's always like, come see me. I'm like, no, thanks. I'm not trying to have a panic attack in the woods. <laughs> but, um, but, she, but she likes it, so... And then she'll come down here and she'll, uh, like I said, she'll put on the Irish dance shoes for St. Patrick's Day and come out and dance. And Toes can tolerate once a year. Kind yeah, of thing. She, yeah she's, she's a helpful girl. She's like, all right, I'll be there. I got you. <laughs> and she's an only kid. So. Yeah, yeah. So she's very close with, it, with, uh, with her, the, the young, her youngest, or my youngest niece. Um, they're, they're similar in age. So. Yeah. And then we go to the beach. Um, we'll go to Nags Head for a week every year. And uh, so they'll hang out for a week and, you know, drive me crazy. That's great. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, having first cousins is yeah, pretty so, neat deal. Yeah, so they're all so they're all buddies and they all get along. Very so. cool. Well, I was asking you uh, when we met, like, I imagine you know a lot of people and it covers a pretty wide spectrum. Oh yeah, yeah. Like so much so that I I have a feeling you could blow my mind with some of the guests. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I, I've no just from bartending and working in restaurants. I, I I've. You know, I've, I've got friends from the strip club to the, uh, you know, to the law office, you know, and everybody in between. So there's no no judgment on my part. You you do what you got to do to make your money. Yeah, no judgment on my part. Yeah, either. so I got, like, you know, fr- friends all over, all over the map. They're everywhere. Uh, every kind of job. That's a, I, I probably know somebody. That, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Not everybody has that. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it works out, you know, it, it works out for me because I, I just, you know, uh, I like to know everybody, so... That's we, really uh, cool. yeah, everyone, um, and, and there, you know, and every, people can be so judgmental about, about people's jobs or lives or, but I mean, they haven't walked a mile in their shoes. They exactly. have no idea. And you never really get to know the person if, the, if you're judging them right off, you know, oh my right gosh. off the jump. Yeah. They could be like, you did know, you judge me before we sat down? No way. Cause you're Steve's friend. <laughs> <laughs> so I get some of that Steve magic. Yeah. You get some Steve credit. Cause you know, Steve, Steve's such a good guy that he, he wouldn't have. Uh, you know, mean people in his life. I mean, I I I know Steve, and and we reconnected uh, recently. I guess a couple of years ago, and I'm like, I need more people like Steve in my life. Yeah, right. Yeah. Everybody needs more people like Steve in their lives. I think that's right. He's the best. Yeah. <laughs> Although you know, he rolls his eyes. He's like, shut up. <laughs> like every you know, and everybody always says you mention his name to anybody, and everyone's like, that's the solid guy, salt of the earth guy. Like everyone loves Steve. <laughs> so. So some of that is uh, who he is as an individual. Some of that is where he grew up. I would I would argue. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, he grew up pretty humble too. We're talking about Steve's probably gonna he he will will kill us now. Yeah, he's gonna kill us now. <laughs> we brought him up twice. If he listens to the end. Which I, I assume he will. <laughs> so, well, you know, he, he, he should like it. He should know that, you know, we all, we all have a love for him. So Yeah, we're, we're all fans. <laughs> right. Cool. Well, Helen, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, I really no, appreciate it. Oh, no, thank you. I hope I didn't bore everybody. No, that was great. You opened <laughs> up Rosie Conley's just to the two of us today yeah. on a Monday. It was great to record here. I'm, uh, I only work a couple of miles from here, so it was 
It was a really okay, easy, yeah. easy, easy thing for me. And you, you drove from Powhatan. To I did. Do this. <laughs> so I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, in, in from Powhatan, so, which is, by the way, a great, a great place to live. It's very, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I like it. It's very rural, you know. It's very different than the experience of downtown Richmond. It is. Um, but, you know, I lived I lived in the city for a long time, and um, and I like, you know, out. it's very quiet where we live. Um, our, our neighbors are cows, so sometimes they get loose, and we'll find them in our front yard. We also have a random rooster that shows up that, you know. I was going to say, you can recharge when you're out in Powhatan, but not if you have a rooster waking you up super early. <laughs> I'm like, where does this rooster belong? Go home, rooster. <laughs> so we haven't figured out where he belongs yet. But. I think maybe you have to pick him up and then take him to the next county. Uh, I don't know. He might attack me. <laughs> yeah, roosters could be pretty big. Yeah. So, but you know, it kind of makes me laugh because I'm like, all right, this, yeah, this is what Powhatan's like, man. R- random rooster in your front yard. <laughs> that is pretty random. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, Helen. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.